Okay, welcome to another episode of Real Talk um, with Leon. I've got my co-host today, Kellen Kasebeer. Say what's up, Kellen. How's it going, everyone? My name is Braden Leslie. I'm the chief intern here at Leon, and our guest today is Mello Kalarko, coming from the land down under, Australia. Mello, how about you introduce yourself, just give us some context into where you are and what's going on with you. Sure, yeah. Good morning, everybody here from Australia right now. Uh, depending on where you are in the world. But uh, my name is Mello and I, I run a mindfulness and performance coaching uh, business where I often go into corporate companies and I, I run training on resilience, I run training on performance, I teach mindfulness and meditation as a great tool to help them you know, to improve their performance and to manage stress. Absolutely love what I do and especially when I'm beating the skepticism. So often when I'm going into companies, especially like engineering companies or financial companies, Initially, they're saying, I don't know about this mindfulness sort of stuff, and I don't know, I'm not sure about this, but then eventually, once they come on board, they really see the benefits of this. So uh, that's what I do now in my professional career, and I've been practicing personally meditation and mindfulness for around three decades now, which is starting to show my age, but, and I still practice every single day. So I, I practice what I preach, and I, I love to share. I feel blessed to be able to share that with the world. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think there's a huge uptick in just awareness around mindfulness and the benefits that come with it. I'm really interested in being able to talk with you about that, but maybe we can back up a little bit and talk about what led you into this career path. And specifically, I understand, and I don't know if this is well known about you, but you've traveled the entire world. I believe you were biking across almost all the continents. You've done an incredible amount of service. And just, can you speak to that and how that maybe got you to where you are today? Sure, sure. Yeah, I have uh, cycled my mountain bike pretty much around the planet, cycled, trekked and traveled around the world, including Utah, one of my favorite places there across Slick Rock and Moab and beautiful part of the world. And actually through that Southwest of um, of the US camping with Navajo Indians and Hopi Indians and you know, living out there in the desert. So have amazing memories of that. And in hindsight, when I look back, there's a series of events that's brought me to what I do. And doing more of these podcasts is really interesting because I'm almost learning more about myself because I'm talking about my backstory and, and how I got here. And um, I'd say there was one particular incident actually that really made me believe in the power of meditation and and how it can actually help me or how it helped me it actually saved my life, but also how it can help others. And this was even before I started out on the cycle journey. So as I was you know, planning my trip around the world to circumnavigate the world on my mountain bike with my panniers and all my equipment, I was putting myself in all sorts of situations just to learn how to use my equipment and understand that because it was going to be a solo trip. The other fellas that wanted to do it with me, my mates, they actually backed out on me at the last minute. That was the first lesson of trust. Let's just trust myself and believe in myself and do that. So then I put myself in this position one day where I headed out on my mountain bike, wanted to test out my new tent and my new cook set and my new gear. And unfortunately, it turned out to be one of the most worst storms that have ever hit this part of the world. It was in a remote part of, of South Australia. And kind of long story short, but I was cycling my bike and trees were getting uprooted in front of me, like you know, big gum trees were getting uprooted and the, the rain was horizontal. There was hundred kilometer winds coming through and I thought, this is not a great situation. So I was pedaled faster just to keep warm. And then suddenly a, a tree hit my bike and damaged my leg and knocked me off my bike and, and damaged my pannier quite badly. 
the, most of the impact was on my pannier, on the, the saddlebags on the back of the bike. Anyway, I went to try to set up my tent. My tent was damaged. My cook set was damaged. I was in a horrible situation. It was cyclonic winds coming through. It was just getting worse and worse, becoming dusk. So I was getting late and the nightfall was coming. And I thought, what do I do? Where do I set up my tent? I can't do it. It's too difficult. And then I noticed my fingers were turning blue. My lips were turning hypothermic. So I was actually becoming cold and freezing and shivering. And I thought, what do I do here? Then in, in a moment, I, I remembered a... a a breathing technique that my Tai Chi master actually taught me to bring heat to the core of your body. So I started to do this breathing technique. I thought, okay, the external world around me is an absolute mess. I'm going to go inside. I'm going to go internal and start you know, doing this practice. So I started doing this. I started counting my breaths and started doing some diaphragmatic breathing and building up some energy around the core. It's called Dantian breathing. And after a little while, I started to feel a bit of warmth come through my body. So I started counting you know, 100, 1000. I kept on going and going just to stay focused on what I was doing. And then I remember those little emergency blankets, those little things that you get, those little alpha blankets that you think you're never going to use. I got that out of my pannier, wrapped it around me. And then I just stayed there in this meditation posture. And I don't know exactly what happened that evening, but I went through stages of alpha, theta, delta, stages of out-of-body experiences, really difficult stages, but I meditated for 12 hours straight in this environment. Meanwhile, around me, the trees were falling down. There was cyclonic winds, like I said. My body temperature was warm. And guess what? I actually felt safe. I felt secure. I felt absolutely at peace. And I thought, I'm just going to keep doing this and keep doing this. And so I did this for many hours. And then the first, the last thing I remember hearing was a little bird chirping. So it must have been morning, it must have been dawn. And I woke up, the storm had subsided. I looked around me and there was like debris everywhere, trees everywhere. And I, I woke up, I got myself a few biscuits or something to eat, give me a bit of energy, check my bike and fix my bike and, and moved on. But that was, when I look back now, that was a turning point for me to really believe in the power of the breath. And this is a big statement I'm going to say here, but if you can control your breath, you can control any situation yeah, by going inside. And this, is a, this was a literal storm, but obviously in any sort of real storms or when there's chaos around you or disorder, and even in the corporate or business world where the world around you seems crazy and maybe related now to the pandemic, when the world around you is chaos, you can always go within and find that peace. That was definitely a turning point into me really believing in this is what I want to do. This is what I want to share with people. And, and that's what I do now in, in my job as my work. And there was many situations, obviously, throughout the travels, as you can imagine, through Africa, through Asia, yeah. through these places that I've had to draw on that belief and that power and that self-confidence and self-awareness to get me through many hair-raising situations and even life-threatening situations. Yeah. So you, you talked a little bit about skepticism, being mm -hmm. a huge stumbling block or barrier to people. I think one, understanding what mindfulness is, how it's supposed to be carried out, two, understanding just how good it can be for you and where, it's, where it can work in almost any situation. But how have you found, how have you been able to help switch that in people, in your clients, in these organizations, in these teams? How are you helping them? Obviously, they're not going through maybe these extremely stressful circumstances in a storm. Do you think that's necessary for someone? Do they have to experience mindfulness under stress to really learn to appreciate it? Or can it be appreciated outside of those circumstances? What are, you, what are your thoughts? I think the biggest thing and the, one of the most common 
problems I hear in this modern world is overwhelm. This overwhelmed world, we're overstimulated. There's so much going on. The mind is very busy. We're constantly being distracted and bombarded by things. And I also work in mental health clinics. And when I hear the word overwhelm, that's usually a predecessor to anxiety and mental health problems. So we want to catch it in those early stages before it becomes overwhelmed. So we've got these tools and techniques to manage our stress on a daily basis. And the main work that I do is actually getting people to feel it and experience it feeling even if it's a I teach what's called a 90 second breath break and that's just a way to just drop into your breath get deeper belly breathing going and what it does it activates the parasympathetic nervous system so it takes you instantly out of that fight and flight response which most people are operating in all day long this constant chronic stress phase but once they feel it they can actually experience it's like anything it's like sport for example you know, let's say you want to run a marathon you can read all the books you like about running a marathon and you can know all the techniques and about periodization training or whatever it is but unless you do the practices unless you do the exercise you won't get the benefits so i very quickly get my clients and the teams to do the exercises even if it is just a 90 second breath break so they can feel how the body can actually feel calm under pressure or just feel a sense of peace, a sense of quiet. And usually I need to back it up depending on what sort of organization it is. I'll back it up with a little bit of science. So I'll put up some science. I'll talk about the amygdala and how that gets affected by stress. I'll talk about the prefrontal cortex, which is all about your emotional regulation. It's about decision-making, planning, problem-solving, and all those cognitive functions that they need at work. And the more that the amygdala hijacks you, the less of your thinking brain is working. So there's a, usually a, a bit of a threefold effect. You give them the science so they can understand what goes on when you practice mindfulness, show them the benefits, and then of course, let them feel it and experience it. What's yeah. go ahead, Noah. So when you're like in a corporate setting, right? And imagine what you get, especially with that kind of prove it attitude is you can mm -hmm. tell them the science and they're like, all right, cool. I get that. And, and they're, everyone's either like, it doesn't work for me or I tried it before, which really means like they saw it on Instagram once or something. <laughs> what has your been experience with in, in that corporate setting of helping take this kind of transformational experience going from that skepticism and turning it into like promoters? Yeah, I'm really careful with my languaging initially. So on the first sessions, I don't use the word meditation mm. because usually it brings these preconceptions about there's some... I don't know, long-haired sort of guy sitting in the Himalaya with insects. Yeah, exactly. So I'm careful with my language. So I'll use the word attention training or focus or mindfulness. I might, I'll be skeptical around, but usually I introduce it slowly. And then I, I definitely will back it up with some facts some research and data, and then some of the benefits and some of the case studies and things that I've seen personally in the companies that I've transformed. So usually I do a six week program It's my signature program. So first week, I don't talk too much about the meditation itself we just you know introduce it and introduce attention training second week i'll wean in a little bit of a, a shorter practice third week we're starting to do longer practices by then they're on board and then we can jump into everything like emotional intelligence and many layers deep so it's just about weaning them into that and you're right there's also the common barriers like i've tried that it doesn't work for me and all those sort of things so i, I also demystify those by about week two i start talking about those and a lot of people say, I don't have the time. And I say, well, if you don't have the time, if you stop for 10 minutes, your next two hours will be more productive. Yeah. You know, even if you stop for 90 seconds, a lot of people say I fall asleep. So then I'll break that. That's usually a sign that they're exhausted 
that's usually a sign that they need more rest and recovery and meditation practices throughout the day. So I'll look at the common barriers and then I'll speak to that too. Yeah, I can't imagine it's good to uh, to be so stuck in fight or flight or so high on fight or flight that as soon as you mm. get out of that, you're falling asleep. That's probably a pretty strong indicator of something. Yeah, and there's, a, there's an evolution of stress. There's First of all, there's everyday stress. And that's normal. We all have everyday stress. We need stressors coming in. We have deadlines. We have work to do. That's a normal environment. We should be able to cope with that as long as we're doing our self-care practices. That's eating well, sleeping, doing all those things that you need to do, meditating, taking renewal breaks. So you can operate in that, I call the green zone. That's that everyday stress. You can work, you can thrive under pressure. You've got the energy, you've got the vitality. But if you don't manage it on a daily basis, it turns into that chronic stress where you just constantly got adrenaline and cortisol going through the body, overstimulated, overwhelmed, can't sleep at night, can't switch off this chronic stress. And most people are operating in that. I do a lot of work with CEOs, executives, surgeons, high achievers, and they're usually operating in that chronic stress zone. So we need to give them the tools to get back to that everyday stress work. But it gets worse from there. If they, don't, if they don't manage it on that chronic stress zone, it turns into what's called allostatic stress or allostatic load. Now, that's that constant wear and tear on the body and mind that starts breaking them down. They're just exhausted. Right. Just can't do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm fatigued. And especially through this pandemic situation, there's a lot of people that I'm meeting there now because mm-hmm. they don't have the resources. They're not topped up with that. And then from there, it gets worse. It can lead to a full burnout and poor mental health. So it's this evolution of stress, chronic stress, allostatic load, burnout. So we want to get people back to that green zone so they can operate and thrive under pressure and manage their day-to-day workings. Yeah, I'd I'd imagine this is what we see. I'm sure it's the same as catching it in that yellow zone or Mm. a lot ahead of it while you're still in green is probably a lot cheaper, quicker, easier, how have you seen, as you go through that green to red, what are like, how do some of the recovery methodologies, so to speak, differ when you have that person who's just completely burnt out and toast? What are you telling them versus maybe that kind of teetering on the edge, yellow, red person? I'd rather catch people in that early zone. It's a much easier job for me just to get them back to that green zone, to get them functioning at their best, to optimize their performance. It's a lot more work in that red zone. But like I said, I do work in mental health, so I do understand that. And it's basically a weaning process back. We have to start potentially eliminating some things out of their life to make sure that they've got the energy and vitality to work. They may need to minimize their work hours even at that stage. And we need to rebuild their structures. And like I said, it goes back to basic, absolutely fundamental self-care, eating well, sleeping well, exercising, meditation practices or downtime at least. So we need to rebuild those and reintroduce them into their life. And even having hobbies and interests and other things that stimulate their mind in other ways. So it's a very different ball game when it's the end zone of that red zone to get them all the way back. It's a longer process. It can take months, especially the thing is from the chronic stress zone. So when they're chronically stressed to the burnout, it can be quite sudden. People can operate in that chronic stress zone for weeks, months, years, even decades. You know, they're working in this high stressful environment for decades, some of the surgeons I work with, they're, they're doing 70-hour weeks under high pressure for a long time and their demands and their focus needs to be absolutely you know, 100%. They, you cannot sustain that forever. It's not sustainable. Right. So that's where that can be a sudden breakdown and, and then they, they just can't cope anymore. You know, the good surgeons and the good um, 
high performers, they know how to stop and slow down. They know how to you know, do those self-care practices. Some of them even only work four days a week. So they have a whole day to rest and recover. So it's yeah. a, yeah, I'd rather catch them in the early zone, much easier work for me to do. Yeah. And I'd imagine you must come across at times people who go, look, I, I just thrive under stress. I thrive in this environment. And like you're alluding to, I'd imagine that there's times when those people in their head, that's the case. They might think they're in that green, maybe even in that yellow. Next thing you know, they're in that chronic burnout zone and they're like, what the hell happened? Do you think there's validity, I guess, to that, like, I thrive in this really chaotic environment thing? Or is that just a cope for psychologically telling yourself that so that you don't address these issues? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. And what I see, it's, it's very similar to someone that says to me, you know, when I talk about sleep patterns, and I talk about making sure you're getting those eight hours of renewed sleep, because that's what science says, that's what we need. And someone will say to me, I get by on five hours, I, I love five hours, I want to keep going, I'm busy, I'm working. The key word I hear is get by. You don't yeah. want to just get by. You want to thrive. You want to be at the top of the game. And all the high performers that I work with, and I also work with athletes. I'm coaching an Olympic athlete right now, and they get their quality sleep. So it's a similar thing. It's a bit of a, a false truth. And, and one of the clients that I had who was one of these, I get by on two hours sleep. He was working across multiple time zones. He was working in the US and working UK, Europe and Australia, he was quite proud, exactly what you said about how many hours he was doing and how many working to missing a whole night's sleep. Guess what? His body has now shut down. It's not even producing um, the hormones anymore, not producing testosterone. He's in a bad way, medically in a bad way. So there's a price to pay for that. And I do understand we can thrive under pressure. We can actually get excited. And I do too. I like when things are challenging. I I love it when there's a challenge, but I make sure that I balance that out with renewal breaks as much as possible. And another thing on that is a lot of people think, if if I practice meditation and slow down, it's going to take me off of my game. It's going to take me off of the speed that I'm working, but it's an absolute fallacy. It's an absolute you know, mistruth because if you slow down and reset your focus, you can then be absolutely on the top of your game, you know, 100% fully focused, fully aware. And even if it is just a five minute practice reset, and then your next two or three hours will be like really productive. Yeah. It's a funny, it's a funny thought people have. I get it. No. And to be honest, like I used to be definitely a bit of that type myself. I was, and I wasn't getting that bad of sleep, but I was, I I feel all right, whatever. And actually when the pandemic hit, the very first thing that I did is I went, I'm going to start sleeping more. I don't have an hour commute each way anymore. I'm going to sleep more. And over four months, I went from 6.2 hours sleep on average to eight and a half. And I'm like, I'm in lifting weights. I train Brazilian jujitsu. Everything got better. Everything. I I was happier. I was gaining muscle better. I was sleeping. It was amazing. And I was like, look, I never felt bad per se, but how good I feel now that I've really paid attention to this, just like completely woke me up to like how significant sleep really is. They don't just say it. it's not flossing at the dentist. Right? Yeah. 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 Floss more. No, get more sleep. <laughs> it's, a, it's the fundamental really is. And to be honest, you mentioned it well around the pandemic. This is where we started to really realize our own health. And many of us had to slow down. And to be honest, I had to really dumb down my seminars and webinars during that time and it wasn't the complex performance things it wasn't the complex emotional intelligence it was more like let's go back to 101 
self-care. Let's make sure you're getting eight hours sleep. Let's make sure that you're doing those exercise and keeping up your gym routines and doing the you know daily walks. And that was the only thing to get through, to get through the situation because the world around us was out of our control. But what we could control is how we actually look after ourselves. So I had to go back to like self-care 101, made sure that everybody was, you know, on the ball without buddying up with somebody else to you know, check in on each other. When push comes to shove, it comes back to those fundamental lifestyle factors first. And then from that, we can you know, look after each other and support each other. So with that, do you think, because I'm a little bit, um, I'm a proponent of this theory, but maybe I'm just an optimist. I am. Is Do you think that, okay, so if people were operating pre-pandemic, relatively like lackadaisical about mm-hmm. sleep and diet and health yeah, yeah, and taking all this stuff for granted then went through this change where man I really have to pay attention to this do you think on the other side of that are we going to start seeing like these benefits of remove the stressor of the pandemic as the chapter ends yep. Yep. but we have these people who are much more aware of how significant it is to be doing all these things we're talking about I hope so I do I really do I hope so I hope that we've learned something from this if we can't learn something from this particular situation, we'll never learn anything. And it's an opportunity to slow down. I know a lot of myself being a parent and the people that are around me, we can get very busy in our world doing all these activities with the kids after school and filling up our week with so many things. And the pandemic hit was like full stop to all of that. There was none of these. So we didn't rush back to do to fill up our diary with all these things. You know, our children just do two or three things now. So it was a time to reset, I believe, and, and to really reprioritize. I got a lot of reach outs and call outs from a lot of the CEOs and executives that I work with because they didn't know what to do if they stopped working. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do with those extra hours when they weren't at the office and they're working from home. So we had to refine and rediscover themselves. So hopefully they've rediscovered what's important in their life and draw a line in the sand from that was then and this is now and continue these practices on for the rest of their life because it was a time to reevaluate and rediscover those really important things that you know will serve them well it's it's a really good point And, and also I saw on the other side of that I saw people that actually had no idea what they were doing if they weren't working Mm. Yeah, because their work defines them. They'll be spending 12 hours at the office every day and they weren't doing that and they didn't know what to do. They didn't, they almost lost their identity. I had one one particular client who, you know, when I asked him what's his hobbies and interests and when's the last time he did that, he started crying. Like he said, oh my God, I think it's been like 15 years before since I've done anything for myself. And it was a penny drop moment and this pandemic situation has maybe shone a light on that a little bit yeah so I'm an optimist like you I, I hope so is the answer to that I hope yeah. so at least some of us right yeah and also not to take things for granted simple things for granted like having dinners with friends going out to your favorite restaurants or your you know brunch cafes or all these things that were taken away from us you know hopefully we come out the other end we don't take these everyday things for granted anymore yeah, Mello, I'm super curious, being in Australia, like, how is the, the workplace approach to well-being evolved over these last 18 months? Have you seen just what's the state of that yeah. in Australia? Is it, What things are happening? What are companies and organizations and executives that you're working with? What are they doing differently? Uh, yeah. What are they implementing? What kind of new policies have they set in place to really change and address burnout and workplace mental health issues and stuff like that 
Yeah, it's a good question. And, and it varies depending on the organization. And Australia is pretty, pretty good in a way in that in general. We have a really good mental health awareness program. We have some organizations like Beyond Blue and Black Dog Institute, which shine a light on that and remove a lot of the stigma around mental health. And many companies approach it differently. Some of them have a token effort where they will just do the bare minimum and just offer a yoga class or an occasional meditation class or something like that. It doesn't really you know, get any transformational change, but that's their bare minimum. And others do have 12-month programs. I run 12-month programs inside some companies too, and they, have, they see the benefit of the um, ongoing consolidated learn, learning. But I did notice, though, to your point, that a lot more people reached out to me that normally wouldn't reach out to me. A lot more companies, for example, some accounting firms, financial firms saying, hey, Melo, our, our, our team's struggling right now. What can you do? How can you help? So a lot more realized the importance of it because you know, the pandemic did shine a light on that. I don't want to spend the whole you know, session talking about the pandemic, but it, it was an opportunity to look at that. So and also CEOs and execs that wouldn't normally reach out to me also reached out to me because of this you know, ongoing here in Victoria, in, in Melbourne, we had uh, quite severe, strong lockdowns and it really, it was just compounding effect. It was just, you know, lockdown one had its energy. It was a lot of adrenaline and fear and um, uncertainty. Then the next one was quite a long one where we were restricted to our 5k zone and working from home. And that was never ending that really took its toll on mental health. And that's where a lot of companies says companies reached out to me and they said, hey, we need some help here. We need some support. So then I'd go in and do a series of sessions, like four or five wellbeing sessions. So they actually are quite open to it. And the good thing is now that they've realized that how much it does support their team and support their staff, that they've actually opened it up to a broader audience. So in this room, I mean, right now that I'm sitting in right now, I've spoken to over 20,000 people in the last eight months or 10 months because the companies have opened it up broadly to their international teams and national teams. So I'm wrapped because I'm reaching more people and supporting more people. And I'm wrapped that the companies are really recognizing the importance of this. Yeah. And what, what other trends are, how are you seeing companies speaking with employees and executives? How are you seeing them adjust the, the way work is approached? And I'm just curious because I it seems like all over the world, companies and, and cultures are handling it differently. What do you think Australia and the organizations there are doing well moving forward? What are some of those trends you see? Yeah, what I'm seeing, one of, one of the best trends that I'm seeing is this new hybrid workplace. Some companies were doing it before where there's opportunities to work from home, let's say two days a week or three days a week, and then come into the office. So that flexible, adaptable learning environment, I think, is the thing that I is working the best in the companies that I work with. So they might work from home on the days that they need to do their focused work on their projects and on their tasks. And then they'll come into work when they need to collaborate with their team and, and, and get together. So I think that's a really good approach. And in some of the larger companies that I work with, that seems to be working really well. And also it's opened up you know, the discussions and the mental health conversations around it in many ways. Here in Australia, there's a, I'm not sure if you have something similar there, it's called mental health first aid training. So there's a program that employers can do. I'm trained in mental health first aid also. And that just helps people in the workplace understand that. And usually within an organization, you know, depending on the size, there'll be X amount of people that are mental health first aiders. So they, they're the first sort of point of call if anything is, is going wrong. And there's a whole approach that goes with that, which is really good because it 
it just opens up the conversation. There's also what's called Are You OK Day here. I'm not sure if you have something similar there. It's actually an Australian initiative, I believe, on September the 9th this year. And that's a day to check in with your buddies. Are you OK? And there's a whole dialogue that goes around that. And so that that's quite good. We're actually really embracing that in many ways. And, and the pandemic has actually opened that up even more because it's hard to check on somebody if they're home on Zoom and you don't know what's going on. So if you find that they're you know, not on the screen or not showing their screen, hey, check in on that, are you okay? And usually there's a bit of a buddy system going on. I also do that in my sessions, a bit of a buddy up system, just check in on people. Yeah, so I think it's actually, it's going well actually in that way, that the hybrid workplace and the mental health first aid awareness, I think it's, it's going in the right direction. Can you, awesome. share, yeah. can you share a little more about that mental health first aid training? I've not heard of something like that. Is there, so it's, I'd imagine it's not like the HR people, it's r- randomly selected. Like what, who tends to become um, certified in that? It can be HR, it can be people and culture, it can be the wellbeing advisor, and it can also be random people. It's a bit like the fire warden, let's say, that's, the, that's selected to be the fire warden for the company. You know, it's very similar to that. You can either put your hand up for it and do it, or you may be selected. So I think it's great. It just gives a point of call for people to, um, you know, for someone to approach. If you think of first aid, physical first aid, it's exactly the same. So if you had a physical first aid officer on site and you cut yourself, or you go see the physical first aid person or the, the, the nurse or whatever you want to call it. So it's exactly the same you know, with the mental health. If it's a you know, mental problem, someone's struggling, they've got someone to chat with. And usually they'll run, and I personally do also, I run seminars and workshops around that. And there's a system that they use that it's a very simplified approach to, you know, open the conversation and get them to support each other. I think it's great. It's really good. It's probably, I'm not sure how long it's been here, at least five years I've heard about it, maybe longer, but it's actually really taken off now. There's a lot more mental health first aiders on site. So great initiative. I I like the idea of it being like a very peer driven thing because one Mm -hmm. of the dynamics that definitely, at least I can speak to in the United States that exists is this idea of we're talking more about mental health, but people still fundamentally feel like I go to HR. Are they really on my team? What could be the repercussions? Do I go to my manager? They might, frankly, oftentimes the manager has their own issues that they're having to deal with. That becomes almost like at ends with kind of what they're judged upon, like their KPIs or whatever. So I, I love the idea of being able to just go to your buddy. Like the buddy system, I think is great. Having someone that you're accountable to in sales that frequently occurs where you naturally have people that even if it's just messaging your, Hey, how's this doing? And that sense of camaraderie goes a long way. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause sometimes when it's too formalized, a lot of people won't approach their boss or their manager because it may seem that they're not coping. They're scared. They might lose their job and there's all those repercussions, but if it's just some sort of buddy system, and I personally do this in some of my sessions and seminars, I'll disguise the buddy system as let's say, let's say we're initiating self-care and someone's dedicated themselves to walk every day or to go to the gym every day. And I'll look in the group and say, okay, who's going to support this person? Who's going to check in on them, send them a message to make sure they go to the gym every day. So it's almost disguised on every day checking in, but they're actually checking in anyway. Like it's not mental health, but it's like, hey, are you doing your walks? Are you doing your meditation? Are you eating well? Are you doing these things? And so that buddy system works really well. It's an informal way to do it, but it's actually... It's, it's very powerful. And myself personally, during the, the height of the COVID situation, I made sure that I made myself a list every Monday morning. I made a list of like 10 people that I just check in with 
you know, 10 people in my life, whether they were friends from abroad or friends from, you know, past travels or you know, colleagues and just checking on people. And it just made me feel good to know that I'm checking in on these people. And I started digging deeper as the weeks went on. And I was like, this is great. This is a great thing to do. So yeah. I've actually kept practice. That's yeah. a really good thing. I was going to say, that sounds like the sort of thing where your mission is very focused on like, here's these 10 people I love and care about. I want to make mm. sure they're okay. And you very quickly realize this is actually helping me out. Like I get so much out of this. I, I, you're touching around this idea of a lot of this should just become not, Hey, I'm going to go do my mental health stuff and just be a part of life. We should just care about each other. And these are just fundamental building blocks of living a happy life, whether it's work or home or recreation, it doesn't really matter. And yeah. implementing these in the workplace, I think the, the push around that is we just spend so much time there. It's a third of our you know time. We're probably approximately working and for a long time it's been siloed away yes yeah exactly and to be honest if, if I don't look after myself then I can't look after others either to the gratitude practice and, and my mindfulness practices my 90 second breath breaks my formal practices of meditation I do every day they're not negotiable they're just not negotiable so I, I have to do that to be able to help and serve and assist others at the best of my game to get them to the best of their game so it's it has a flow-on effect self-care and looking after yourself and self-awareness well then that's the first thing put your own oxygen mask on first and then look after others around you yeah that's cool what what are some of the things that are your day-to-day like is there anything a like super atypical things that are going to shock anyone but also what would you consider your bread and butter the things that this is keeps me going my not negotiable that has been for many years, like 25 years plus, is my daily practices. So my meditation practice. So typically I start the day with an early morning walk, get some sunlight into me because I remember hearing many years ago the serotonin and melatonin balance. The quicker you get sunlight into your body behind your eyes, it produces that circadian rhythm balance. So, so I've kept that up. So typically I, that was my first sort of not negotiable practice morning walk and then because I was doing that every day then I do my meditation practice straight after that so then I do a 20 minute seated practice or I do some tai chi or qigong or some martial arts type practice which is also meditative and then after that I have a healthy breakfast so that's three wins before the day's even started and that's for me and that's purely for me and that's not negotiable it has been for many years and then throughout the day, I do these little snack meditations, I call them. So if I'm between seminars, I might be coaching an executive and then I've got a anxiety client or you know, an athlete or whatever it is, I'd make sure that I stop, I pause and I do a 90 second breath break or I do a few minutes to reset and to come back to myself to sharpen my senses. So they're not negotiable. But one crazy thing that I'm doing this year, and I'm, I usually do a crazy thing every year because I'm a little bit crazy, is I'm actually swimming in the sea every single day. So wow. I've dedicated this year, 2021, that from the 1st of um, January, I'm swimming in the sea. And now we're here in winter in Victoria here in, in Melbourne. And the, the sea temperature is only about eight degrees um, Celsius. I'm not sure what that translates to Fahrenheit wise, but uh, it's pretty cold. And I'm going, oh my God, this is crazy. But I'm doing it and I'm jumping in and no matter what the, what the weather is. So we're on, I think we're on about 180 days now. And I've, I've oh. swam every single day. So every now and again, I do myself some crazy thing to challenge myself and to inspire me. And I feel invigorated. I, I think it's crazy sometimes, but I'm just going to keep on going. And, That's yeah, it. But, that's my things to, that I do for myself. And, and that's every day. That's every day. So I love it. I, could, I couldn't do what I do without those practices. I couldn't possibly. How, Mello, how important do you think it is for people 
I don't know if you're familiar, there was a book that just came out recently, The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter, but talks about just like people doing hard things. Yeah. I don't like we we just yeah. live in this generation of low, relatively low stress. If it's not from work, we're just really trying to avoid stress in our lives wherever we can. Yeah. So like you doing this swimming thing, it, not only is it a huge commitment, but it's physically taxing, often mentally taxing. How, how has that been a huge part of or how big of a part should it be? in our lives yeah. what do you think i think it's important personally i do because we can sit in this little bubble or cocoon of comfort and but if you want growth and progress and development i think it's good to push your boundaries out of that like to challenge yourself and set your own challenges i do one every year sometimes it's something different one year i did a, to walk on my hands every single day to build up to 100 steps and I loved it so much, I ended up doing it for two years because I was walking, I was actually walking upstairs on my hands and all these sort of things. So I think it's a really good thing to set your own challenges. And there's, I'm not familiar with the book that you mentioned, but there's also a book called Eat the Frog. And that's, I believe Brian Tracy wrote that. And it's a corporate book where it's about doing the hardest thing first in the day, approaching the day with something that's a bit uncomfortable for you to do, a bit hard for you to do. So that way there, the rest of your day is easy. And I've taken that a step further, like talking about the comfort zone, because I could easily sit in my comfort zone. I'm pretty casual, pretty mellow, being, being a name like mellow. I'm pretty easy going, but I like to push myself a little bit. So I've taken that eat the frog principle one step further. I call it seek the uncomfortable. And look for the things in your day that you avoid and push away because, oh, my God, I don't want to have that conversation with that person. I don't want to do that because I don't like doing that. And then I meet it head on. So that would be the top of my list to do. And the more you do that, it actually makes you excited to actually look for things that are uncomfortable. And now it's almost like disappointing when there's something in my day that's not uncomfortable. So I create some. So it's a different approach to it because otherwise that uncomfortable thing, what will happen is you'll bump it to the end of the day. I'll do that at three o'clock this afternoon. Three o'clock comes and oh, I've got no energy anymore. I'll do it tomorrow. And you just keep procrastinating it. So I think it's a good model to every day. I even say it when I'm jumping in the sea. This is crazy. This is you know, uncomfortable, but it's, but it's helping me and I'm growing and developing and all those, the mental chatter and the mental you know, dialogue. I can easily be sitting in my nice warm house, cozy and warm, but I've got to push it, get up, get that theme there. So I think it's a great thing, to be honest, Braden. I think it's a find your uncomfortable and seek it and go for it and just meet it head on. I think too, like around that same idea, it cracks me up is if you think back to like your happiest memories, right? If you're just like snapshot some memory from some summers ago, oftentimes you're going to recall these things that the, you look back on them very fondly, despite you recalling that story of like probably nearly dying in a storm. At yeah. Utah. Like you're sitting there smiling, gushing, having, because you, once you're out of it, you realize like all the value of that and it's exciting and it's cool and it's riveting and all this stuff. And it's just really interesting to me how infrequently we allow ourselves to be excited in the moment when experiencing this stressful thing. I, I'm a big fan of like cold plunge stuff. And you look yeah. at it, so I'm not really excited about this. I know it's going to be really cold. I'm going to have to put like a lot of effort into not immediately jumping out and running away. But you allow yourself to relatively similarly to the ocean thing, adopt this mindset of, but I'm doing it anyways. And yeah. there's no stands or butts about it. And it's about to happen. And here we go. Um, exactly. Exactly. And then you just feel amazing afterwards. And also from those big experiences, like you said, those memories, those probably the most challenging things are the things that have the most impact on you. 
and the biggest learnings have come from that. You know, all the biggest learnings have come from the biggest challenges in your life. And throughout the, that cycle trip that I mentioned, there were so many incidents that I've had to really push the boundaries and really dig deep in many ways. I, I caught malaria in Africa and I was nearly dead and I was, you know, I lost 10 kilos pretty much overnight and you know, yellow jaundice and I really had to dig deep to get through that and many situations like that. And that's given me all the lessons. If you, you know, if you ask me all the lessons that I have in my life, trust, resilience, rising above adversity, all these things that we need in life to, to really grow and develop, it's been from that. And, mm -hmm. and often they come out even when I'm in the corporate setting. Now, I don't plan to tell a story, but someone will be saying something and it elicits a story and then, oh, wow, that's from that. I learned that and that's why I, I, I have this skill now or develop the, the resilience around that. So, yeah, definitely push yourself out that comfort zone and, and, and learn and grow and develop from those experiences. Yeah, it reminds me too, I think before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about like neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. And I think it's along those same lines of strengthening those pathways by allowing yourself to stress test this, right? Like your resilience pathway in your mind. It's like, great, mm -hmm. here we go. We're going to challenge that. You're going to get through it. We're stronger than we probably want to believe. And then on the other end of that, you reaffirm, I am resilient. I am strong. I can do this. And I think there's a lot of momentum that can be built up by developing like that self-belief. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's days, definitely there was one day recently and it was horrible weather. It was horrendous weather. It was like raining and cold and freezing. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll just skip today. And I won't tell anybody. <laughs> and, and no, I just did it and I pushed myself. My wife came out and she was wearing like this jacket and beanie and everything. And then once I jumped in, I was like, ah, I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad. And, uh, and I felt charged and energized for the rest of the day. So it's good to know the feeling that you'll get afterwards and the, the compounding effect, and it does, you know, improve your circulation, like you said, changes your brain frequencies, you know, shocks the system in many ways, creates neurogenesis through the brain, new pathways. Yeah, it's a great thing to do you know, as often as you can. So I'm not saying that all your listeners have to do something crazy like that, but you know, maybe just try something new, you know, maybe try a meditation practice, maybe try to you know, challenge yourself in some way and, and do something because if you've tried meditation before and it didn't work, Maybe try it again to have another approach to it, change your mindset towards it. And it can really you know, rewire those pathways through your mind. It's a, you know, we're growing all the time and our brains are changing all the time and it grows on what you feed it. It grows and if you feed it with just being comfortable and placid and lazy even, that's what it's going to do. It's going to get lazy. You don't need those. I love it, to be honest, when I'm in a developing country and there's a bit of danger around I, I love it. It actually makes me feel alive because my senses are on high alert, you know, whether it's an animal or whether it's a, a person or whether it's a situation or coming on dusk in um, Nigeria or something like that. Like it's uh, your senses are on full alert. And I love that. Living in Australia, it's quite a comfortable, safe place. And all those senses subdue and suppress. You don't really need that high alert state. And you can easily get comfortable in that state. You know, to put myself in situations like that, call me crazy, I'm not sure, but it makes me feel alive. No, a little. inspiring. <laughs> I need to get on your level one day. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, uh, Mello, this, is, this has been incredible. This has been insightful. And I appreciate just everything you've shared. And you've given me a lot of things that I want to go and work on after this and prioritize in my life with regards to wellness and just my, my own personal performance. How can people who are listening 
find you and what they, where can they access your materials, all that. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm across most of the social channels, even though I'm not so social media savvy, but I've definitely got a you know, LinkedIn profile is a good place to find me. Um, my website's probably the best point of call. That's mellowcalaco.com. I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes somewhere, so I don't need to spill that out. And I've also got a support package right now that might help a lot of people, just a, a simple mindfulness support package, which has some you know, very simple to implement practices. So I can also share that with you. And I'm, I'm just here to support as many people as possible, you know, especially through these challenging situations. And yeah, mellowcalaco.com is probably the best and easiest way to find me. Awesome. We appreciate your time. And thank you again, Kellen. Thank you for making the time to be here as well. Appreciate it. We'll catch you guys next time. Okay. Thanks guys. Take care. Take care guys.